0: You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi,
1: And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1,245 and interview number 1,559. We've been on the air since March of 2009. We are the longest-running business podcast emanating from beautiful Orange County, California, in the studios of octalkradio.net. With a deep understanding of integration and technology, Ken LaCroix helps guide businesses through rapid growth, restructuring, mergers, and acquisitions. His team at Insightful Partners believes that in the mantra that what gets measured gets done. And uh, he makes sure their clients make better decisions based on data. I'm excited to have Ken, who's a member of the Critical Mass faculty, as well as all the other great things he's doing here in the studio today. Ken, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast.
0: Thank you, Richard. Appreciate you having me on here today. All right.
1: Let's talk about you before we talk about the business. What's your background, professional path to where you are today?
0: Sure, sure. Sure. I started my, my world out of, uh, out of school, got an accounting degree, and went into the world of the CPA world, did my two years of experience to get that. But uh, my approach is much more the management side of accounting, not the public side of accounting. So after two years, I went into the private side of, of the world. I was a uh, controller, VP of finance, CFO of a number of companies that were small but growing rapidly. Mm. And my tenure there was anywhere from four to six or seven years. Mm -hmm. And did that for a number of different companies. About 10 years ago, did my last exit out of private equity. And rather than try and find another CFO job, I decided uh, the concept of a fractional CFO was something that really interested me. So set up practice here in Orange County, had a few CFOs working for me. Later on, worked for an outsourced accounting company, helped them open up the Orange County practice of that, and about a year ago, jumped back out as a consultant again to do insightful partners, which is my passion. So you've had a wide range of experience. You've kind of been on both sides of it, maybe three sides if you put the CPA world in there, right? Sure, sure. And actually, I've, I've had uh, instances where I've worked for somebody. Uh, I've owned a business, I've sold a business, and I've also been a hired gun in a private equity owned uh, uh, venture.
1: So that has to really come into play as you do your role with your clients as a consultant now, I would think, right?
0: It does. I, I, I like to coin it, uh, sort of working on both sides of the table.
1: Yeah, right. Because you can appreciate what they're going through because you understand what it, what it takes. So let's talk about... The firm, Insightful Partners. First
0: of all, tell me about the name. Sure. Well, we're, we're seeking to add insight, clarity, and accountability to our clients and their teams so that they can execute their strategy better and, again, make better decisions with data. Uh huh. And how did you come up with the name? My marketing firm did, actually. Oh, look yeah. at you! Yeah, yeah, I have to <laughs> say that uh, you should pay close attention to what your marketing firm says because uh, the name has really resonated in the marketplace. So that wasn't a name that came organically from you? I wish I, I wish I could say it did, but okay, no, well, it's, we're, no, we're honest here. its on a, it's mass a radio professionally show. designed name. Okay. We should all be using professionals. We should all be taking advice from people that are better at things. And it turns out that while I'm really good at making better decisions with data, coming up with names of companies not so good. <laughs> so not only did it help you to name the company, but your title is what? Chief Inside Advisor and. Did you come up with that? That There's, one I did. Okay. That one I did. You can claim yeah. that. They can lead me down the path, and I can pretty much right. get there. Once you get the idea, yep. you're all over yep. it, right? Yeah. All right. Explain, when people say, what's your title, and you tell them what you do, any curious responses to that? Or is, is it people, oh, yeah, that makes sense? Well, I mean, these days, people ask titles less and less. So normally, by the time we get to, what's your title, if they're not a telemarketer, uh, it, uh, by the time they get there, I've already explained to them what it is that I do. And okay. it's, it's, it's more apparent, if you will.
1: So so let's talk about what the firm does. What makes you and your people different than another firm who might be claiming to do the same thing. For
0: sure. The, the area that we, we play in is the accounting and finance space. And so that includes people doing accounting. It includes CPA firms. It includes CFO companies, all of those, those pieces. We do one thing, and we do that one thing for our clients, and that's basically we find out what numbers drive value in their business, and they could be financial or non-financial, and then we look at the trends behind those numbers, and we try and predict the future, and by predicting the future and then measuring against the future, the companies get better at measuring the future. And and we we use that platform to inform the team on what direction we should be going. We use that platform to help them understand what they should be focusing on. And then we follow up with a report that basically details out those things. and Uh, They go off and do those for the month, Mm -hmm. and then we come back a month later, and they publish their financials, and we throw them up in the dashboard, and we take another look at it, and we kind of talk about what's happened in the month, and are those three things three things that got done? If they did get done, should they still be doing those three things? What is the data telling us? Or if they didn't get those done, is it a problem of focus or a problem of bandwidth? So if it's, if it's a problem of focus, we then say, hey, is now the right time for you to be doing these things in your business, trying to grow your business, improve margins, reduce customer concentration? Whatever objectives they're trying to accomplish, if they didn't get those done, maybe now is not the right time and we have that focus discussion. Or more likely, it's a bandwidth issue. They just don't have the time to do it. They're busy working in their business Day after day after day. So so you see a difference,
1: not to interrupt, but you see a difference between focus and bandwidth. I do. Okay. A tremendous difference. Really? Yes. Okay. And how do you clarify which one it is? I mean, how do you
0: come to ground with one which, what it actually is? Sure. So it, it, it's really, again, our Socratic method. We're sort of asking the reasons why it didn't get done. So okay. if, 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 the, if it didn't get done because I didn't get to it, and that's the CEO, the owner, the leadership team talking about it, Uh, that's a focus issue. Uh, The bandwidth comes, we tried, we couldn't, and if I ask further questions about, well, how about we add some resources in the short term to get that done, and they're receptive to that? Uh-huh. That's a bandwidth issue. Okay. So, so the, the way they answer the question, Correct. you figure out which one it is. Correct. And you, you sort of got energized
1: there for a second, saying there's a big difference between the two. Is there more behind that response
0: that I could ask you to elaborate on? Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. Do that. So, so I don't consider our client base to be every business in our space which by the way is companies 5 to 25 million in sales that are growing rapidly so we're we're not interested in convincing people they should make better decisions with data we're interested in those that are trying to make better decisions with data, and for whatever reason, they're frustrated. They maybe they can't get the the numbers they need. Maybe the accounting department might define numbers a little bit differently. Maybe the accountants might look at things. The CPA firms might look at things differently because their their focus is external investors or tax compliance or other things. Right. We're looking internally in the business and trying to do that. So, we're we're not trying to convince the world they should. We're trying to find those that that really ha- want to do that and help them. So if it's a focus issue, that informs us that maybe now is not the right time for them to be doing something like this. A bandwidth issue is we add bandwidth and they get it done.
1: Okay. So it would seem to me, let me see if I can articulate what, as you're saying, that the focus issue should not be present if they are trying to make decisions based on data already. They're sort of already focused in that area, but maybe they're not realizing the Amount of focus that has to be applied to it, or what is it that would show up in the focus if if you're only working with people who already know the value of making data based decisions? Does that make sense.
0: Sure. Okay. Sure. Well, let, let's 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 spend a moment in the life of the typical entrepreneur, growing business owner. There's no shortage of people coming after them for their time, their energy, their money. There's no shortage of customers that are disrupting their lives, suppliers and vendors that are disrupting their lives. So they tend to to have this, because they're sitting in that seat, because they're in charge, they tend to have a lot of interruptions in their day. So sometimes they just don't realize that a month has gone by and they haven't made progress on a larger objective. And so we remind them that, (laughs) that, hey, this is what we talked about. And if it didn't get done, you know, what, what's your response to that? Okay. And if it's, if the answer is some something along the lines of, and they would never say this necessarily, but if it's, well, I just don't care, then... Uh, they, that wrong cl- client, th- that, right? that, that It's not the right time yet. Right. It's not the right time yeah, yet. But if, if they say, wow, I can't believe a month went by, I thought for sure I would have gotten to it, we can then say, well... How can we find someone else in your organization to do that? How can we add some resources? Are there some fractional things we can do with resources, people? Are there firms we can bring in? Is there things you can drop? Are there things you can stop doing? And if they're open to those conversations, then we stand a good chance of making some progress. We're talking with Ken LaCroix, and we're talking about what his company does, Insightful Partners, for their clients. And you said your target audience uh, clients are generally 5 to 25 million in sales that are growing that are growing and outstripping their ability to either formally or informally understand their numbers
1: so let's unpack how you help them determine what are the right numbers that they should be looking at because you you said they're not all financial the dashboard the metrics can be non financial numbers so how do you and your team help
0: the business owner to find the stuff that's really valuable that they should be focused on so i'm glad you asked the question It's a combination of our backgrounds and what they already know about their business. So in in many ways, the answers are already sitting there. It's our job to sort of unearth them and find them. So we always take a financial approach. Our DNA is that we're measuring things through the financials. Those are reconciled numbers. They're agreed upon numbers. They make sense. The balance sheet has to balance. There's a framework around that. So that's the ultimate measure. Okay. But the data that sits in financial statements, by definition, is the past. It's yesterday, last week, last month, last quarter, last year. And chances are the leadership team was there when those things <laughs> happened. Right. And so there's not necessarily a lot of news value right. to, to what those look like. They're very insightful for others, for investors, bankers, stakeholders, to understand how... Your business is doing right. compared to other businesses in your space. Right. It gives how them. your space is doing compared to other spaces they might want to invest in. Mm-hmm. So very valuable for the outsiders, but I think for business owners it's sort of like, yeah, that's kind of what happened. Right. And so what we what we try well, there to... shouldn't be surprises in it. Correct. Okay. Correct. That's the goal. That. That's right. the goal. Right. That's not... the goal. There sometimes are, but they're, right. they're, 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 right. the goal is not to have them. So then we start looking upstream a little bit at operational data. This could be number of customers that came into the store, or you know number of hits on the website or number of uh, machine cycles or uh, the amount of rework that was done. There's a whole bunch of different operational measures. Right. The accounting world doesn't like those measures because there's a lot of noise in those. <laughs> and, and, but, but the flip side of noise is that they're very current. So yes. nobody reconciles door counts. Sometimes people go in through the outdoor. But in general, if we can find data that's more uh, that's more relevant and more timely, then we can live with a little bit of uneasiness. Sure. So the accounting world has to balance. The operational world, we can get pretty close. So especially if we're doing it on a daily, hourly, weekly mm-hmm. basis, that can inform us of some of those decisions before the financials get published, which is you know, the closer you get to the problem, the faster you can solve it. Right. We're talking with Ken LaCroix. And again, I'm wondering when you work with your clients, is there natural
1: tendency to not want to look at a lot of things or want to look at
0: too many things and how do you help them in either case so i would say there's a dichotomy there's i don't i don't i don't necessarily want to look too hard at the numbers because i'm afraid of what might be there Mm -hmm. and more often because of the sort of the the client base that we're dealing with more often they show us reams of data they show us gl chart of accounts that have 250 lines to them and from our perspective that granular data often masks what's really going on. So there needs to be enough data sitting in a data set to be able to discern a trend. And if if all of your information is sitting in very detailed accounts, then we sort of miss that 30,000-foot view. Okay. So a lot of what we do is sort of bring it back up to, again, try and find what some of those trends might be at the 30,000-foot level. And then we dive back down to the 10,000-foot level or thousand foot level or whatever that might look like looking for the root cause correct correct correct. but we find we often have to take take what they have and really bring it up okay and then there we can probably find some trends to look at and then go back down in a certain area right now you said a couple times the word trends in your experience
1: working with these type of clients how much data creates, what do, you, what do you want to look at to feel
0: comfortable that you have enough without too much? Let's talk in terms of the financial piece, because I think okay. that's easiest to understand, because operational is all over the map. Okay. We like three to five years of financial historical data on a monthly basis, and that's the balance sheet and income statement, and the current year. So if we're sitting here in 2019, we which, would, we are. which we are, we would be looking at 2016, 17, 18 okay. as full years and then we would look at the partial year, 2019 year to date. And we would trend those across months, and we would find if there's seasonality, and there usually is, we would find what that seasonality looked like. If there were um, missed timings between revenue and expenses that might happen month over month, by trending those over a longer period of time, that noise goes away, and we can see what's happening overall. We can take snippets and snapshots. And so a minimum of three to get a good data set. If the business hasn't changed much, the in in the three four or five years we will take five years. Okay. So it really depends on the business model and what oh, they were so, doing. So much if it, if it's changed a lot, then maybe the five year old data is not really not, relevant. Not anymore. as relevant, and okay,
1: and and might 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 go down a path that's not really there. Okay. And how do you reckon? Hope you're okay with this questioning, right? I find what you do interesting and very valuable for business owners of those type of companies. Um, when you work, you you have a bias to work for fast growing companies, which inherently means to me. The world is changing because they're growing quickly yes so so you must bring some perspective and value from your experience and your knowledge to help a leader who maybe this is their first rodeo or even their second but you know what I'm saying leading a fast-growing company things are changing so quickly it's not like it's the same company it was two years ago correct so so how do you bring that sensibility into wanting to look at trends knowing
0: that the future is should not be like the past I think it comes down to we weren't there so we don't have the bias of what that information might have looked like at the time. It's very similar to when, 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 when you okay. ask someone to review a memo or a letter. And they look at it and immediately they say, there's two thes in a row. <laughs> right. And you look at it and you say, but I don't see that. Because right. you know what it's supposed to say. Right. And your brain just overlooks the fact that the, the, it's a very efficient mechanism for the brain, just not so good for the recipient. Right. So we sort of have that fresh sheet of paper approach. And we can start asking questions around that. And again, the clients have all the answers. They just have a lot of noise around it as well. And so they've forgotten what happened back then. And so by, by, by asking them questions around, around what these trends meant then, they often really help frame their current situation in six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. And they really start to understand not just how far they've come. Because oftentimes, they've grown so quickly, they don't know how, fa- how far they've come. Right. But necessarily, they start realizing, well, that's what happened then. And here's where I was then. And here's what happened then. And that so helps them frame their experience, again, in an overall 30,000-foot level. Not all the, the, the details, because that's too much noise and no trends. But helping just sort of them understand themselves about where they came from. Okay. So, Ken LaCroix, let's take it to the future then. How does
1: that, looking back, analyzing trends help your clients to then
0: model what is supposed to be happening or what they can expect to happen. I hear from many of my clients, potential clients for sure. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow (laughs) and I don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. And I think business owners, especially when we're talking about accounting and finance, they think they have to know it with certainty. And so what I try and and discuss is, well, do we know 50% of the answer? And they usually say no. And I say, "Well, let's look at your business model. Do you have any recurring contracts?" "Oh, sure, we have plenty of those." "Great. How how many of those represent your sales?" "Oh, about 50%." "Okay. Well, now we know 50%. Do you have any large customers that buy on a regular basis?" "Oh, sure." Okay, well, we don't have to know exactly what they're going to buy next month or, or, or any of those things, and we do have some AI tools that help us, you know, determine that. So what I want to know is how their business behaves, and I think most of the time we can get to sixty or eighty percent certainty. And while that seems a long way from one hundred percent, it's also a tremendously far far path from zero percent. From knowing we can't even estimate it, and so uh, that's step one. Okay. Step two is well, here's what we thought would happen, and here's what happened, and that just helps with a root cause analysis because if we just look at a result. I call that a lonely number. A number all by itself is a number. If if we expect sales to go up by 10% for the quarter and our sales go up by 12%, then I know instantly that we're probably going to have a more celebratory conversation than, a, than a, a, a difficult conversation. But if we expected sales to go up 10% and our sales went up 8%, then that's a different conversation. If all I do is publish 8% or 12%, I really don't know what to do with it. Right. So it's, it's by, by estimating and getting them there that they can also be part of, they're part of that result. And they're, they have ownership in part of that result or the team has ownership in that result. And that, that starts to inform them on how to do a better job, if you will, of, of estimating and then thinking about the future. Because that's what we care about. We don't care as much about the past.
1: Right. The past is history, right? Um, so if, tell me if this is true, Ken. Clients that work with you have a certain level of comfort with accountability. The the hard thing with forecasting is you have to, you've now set an expectation from which externally people can measure you. Is that true that you're working with companies that leaders and their
0: management leadership team are comfortable being accountable for a set of expectations? So... (laughs) So you're hitting on the way we know we have a a good client relationship or a good potential client relationship or not. Because at the top of the hour, I said we focus on insight, clarity, and accountability. So what we find is many business owners want that accountability. They understand that. But they might be frustrated that the team doesn't have that accountability. So that's where we can really assist. Around the financials, once a month, let's talk about three things that you as the leadership team or you individually as a member of the leadership team are going to accomplish and then we're just going to ask two questions did you get them done and if you did are they the right same things to be doing right and so by, uh, by, by its very nature, if if the firm doesn't want to be held accountable, and that's okay. And if the leadership team doesn't want to be held accountable, and that's okay too, then they probably won't make it past sort of our first uh, uh, our first pitch. Right. Because you ask questions when they uh, achieve the number. Then there's another set of questions you
1: ask when they don't make the metric, right? That's correct. And, and that might be the source of discomfort correct. more than... Is this the right metric and should we be looking at it? Sure. Right yes. You know, I I've had other guests in the studio and we've talked about accountability and an, I have come to this realization, you tell me if it's if it's a, if you support it, high performing teams of peers who have respect for one another are
0: comfortable holding each other accountable and being held accountable. I completely agree. I, I run into clients all the time that create rules in lieu of accountability. Can you give me a little better, not better, but a little deeper understanding of that? Well, uh, everyone has to have their numbers in by five o'clock or, you know, uh, and, and life is not, especially business life. it, It doesn't follow a schedule. And so there's, you know, there's, there's, write-ups and there's corrective actions and there's things that happen around accountability that, that just don't work right. uh, from an HR perspective or from a leadership perspective but if the team is holding everyone accountable if that that creates that culture of accountability all by itself and that helps people self-select out of those teams that are uncomfortable for them right. so instead of a top-down approach to accountability that creates a bottom-up approach to accountability which is much more sustainable yes. much more comfortable and much more effective right so uh, I completely agree, because
1: if the boss, if the leader, if the owner has to be the one that instills accountability in their team, they don't have an accountable team, right? Nor are they scalable. And they're not scalable, right, because they get burned out. Yeah, it, It's far better if each other, in a healthy, non-political way, people hold each other accountable to
0: the set of agreed-to metrics, and then the boss can just sort of observe and participate as appropriate. Correct, and and, right. and feel proud. Right. And, and the other piece about accountability I mentioned before... If you have an accountability culture and mindset among the leadership team, and a member or an area or a piece of the organization is not accountable, they self-select out. We have to be aware of the corollary, or, or you know, the, that in a in a cult in a culture that doesn't have a lot of accountability, those that are seeking accountability often leave yes, and find it somewhere else. Right. So it's not just avoiding, you know, getting rid of the cancer. Right. It's also making sure you hold on to the healthy cells as well. That's so powerful. That's. Is it your experience that when you
1: work with your clients and they get into this rhythm and cadence, that that level of accountability and focus blends down into the rest of the organization? Is okay. it is it just held at the leadership team? Or have you seen the work that you've done with your clients actually move down
0: into other levels of their company? It can't help but migrate down to the other That's levels of I the thought, company. That's what I thought,
1: but you got the experience. So well, I wanted...
0: because what happens is accountability doesn't happen just at the leadership level. The leadership team has people working for them that need to accomplish these results as well. So it it drives all the way down to that most distant employee or that frontline person or that shop floor or retail clerk or server at the restaurant. They're the ones that are, are understanding this accountability, and they're the ones that are making Decisions at that level, out at the outskirts, that are consistent with how you want your business to be. So it, it, it can't help but wind its way through the organization. It seems to me as well
1: that if an employee sees their boss being held accountable and being happy to be accountable, that they then understand it's reasonable for the boss to expect them to be accountable. It models that accountability behavior. It does. Yeah, because I think it's a dysfunction if you have no no accountability at a certain level, but below that, everybody's accountable. Right.
0: Because then they go, well, why why aren't you accountable? That's large corporate America in some cases, Many
1: times, right? Yeah, Yeah, many times. And um, what I I find is a culture of accountability is also a culture of employee ownership and engagement. Absolutely. If your company is healthy performing and you're you're focused on the right metrics, right? right? The job of leadership is to know the few numbers that make the business move and get the ch- chaff out of the way. Correct. Right. Yes. All right. So if someone, this is good, time flew, man. If people would like to learn more about what you do, Ken LaCroix, and Insightful Partners, how do they find you
0: online, my friend? You know, we have a website, actually. Believe it or not, Yay! we have a website. Does the marketing department build it for us. The you? marketing department did build Love it for that. us. Yes, yes. So you can, you can find us there. What In, is it? Insightfulpartners.com. Just like it sounds. So, and if they want to find you, how do
1: they find you? Like on LinkedIn or something? Or
0: you which? can find me easily on LinkedIn. Easily. I've been on LinkedIn forever. So I'm, I'm, I, I, I love that platform. Okay. Everyone should be on that platform. Everyone in the business world should be on the LinkedIn platform.
1: Yeah, but stop spamming people when you connect with them. We don't need to see three paragraphs of why you're so great, right? Fair it's, enough. There's a bad habit that I see a little bit of people. Well, I want to thank you for being a friend of the program, a part of our faculty, helping our clients who are looking at improving the values of their business and bringing your knowledge to bear for the critical mass members. Uh, I've known you for a long time, and it's been great to have you in the studio today, my friend. Thank you so much, Richard. My here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for today. I'm going to thank our engineer for today, Mr. Paul Roberts. And also our producers, without whom we could not do this show, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Nicole Terry. If you'd like to connect with me, I'd say let's do it on LinkedIn. If it's good for Ken, it's good for me. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show. Focused on exploring topics of interest to
0: CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.